Hey, South Bend City Church family. Merry Christmas. Uh, Jason here. We know that whether you're local or long distance, you may not be able to join us in person this Christmas Eve. So our team worked in advance to offer this version of our gathering here on the podcast. Uh, before we get into it, a few things you should know. First, typically when we gather on Christmas Eve, Everything given in offerings that night goes toward our Christmas offering. You can still participate by going to southbendcitychurch.com slash give. Just select the Christmas 2022 fund. Uh, and if you do that, everything you contribute will go toward this year's objectives. We're replenishing the SBCC general fund after spending some time in deficit this year while paying severances as a way of caring for staff in the wake of staff cuts. Uh, we're building a local refugee fund so that our refugee team can respond to material needs as they arrive. We're supporting Downtown South Bend Incorporated as they fund a position for a social outreach ambassador serving unhoused residents of South Bend. And we're helping our friends at Redeemer Central Church in Belfast, Northern Ireland, provide heat through the winter for asylum seekers and church gatherings. Again, if you want to support that, just go to southbendcitychurch.com give and choose the Christmas fund. Uh, second, we won't be gathering on Sunday, December 25th or Sunday, January 1st. And on January 8th, rather than gathering at Studebaker 112, we're meeting up all over the region and even online for brunch tables. You can sign up to join one of our brunches by heading to the website and finding the What's Happening section. If you click through there, you'll see a whole listing of different tables happening in different places, and you can pick one that's a good fit for you. And then finally, one more note, if you'd like to participate with us in the candle lighting that happens at the end of this podcast episode, uh, go ahead and grab a candle and a way to light it before you begin. Now, wherever you are this Christmas and whether your celebration feels joyful and communal or complicated or lonely, grace, peace, and Merry Christmas to you as we welcome Christ together.
celebration this Christmas, it helps to recognize that we don't arrive at Christmas as blank slates, right? Uh, Before we sing O Holy Night and before we light candles, we should take a moment to recognize how much darkness we've been grappling with, how much longing we've been wrestling with, how much our lives and the world at large, like they don't always feel like places where God has arrived, do they? I mean, there's so much longing and waiting in our lives. Uh, sometimes it's felt in the brokenness of personal lives or public systems that like, just aren't working, right? I mean, you, you feel the sharp, broken edges that wound us and they wound others, and that stirs a longing for the God of righteousness and justice to come and put things back together. And I know those can be big, heavy words, but when you realize that things aren't right and things aren't just, then you might like want to reach for those words and say, that's actually what we hope God will do, right? Uh, sometimes we feel all this in the loneliness of our lives. And I'm talking about a loneliness that runs deeper than the desire for just social connection. I'm talking about the loneliness that comes from the soul, and it, it, it shows up in, in the connections that we want to have with one another, but I think it's also a deep desire to know that we're not alone in this universe, you and me. Uh, a longing for an encounter with the loving mystery of God, to, to know our belonging with God, with the heartbeat at the center of creation. Sometimes we feel this restlessness in our unrealized creativity, all those like unsettled energies in us, right? That, that they feel like they have nowhere to go. These unrealized things inside us that want to be expressed, but we haven't found a way to express them. And I don't know how you feel, but I'm guessing you felt some of this again this year. Some kind of um, unfulfilled thing. Maybe, maybe you've felt it in your relationships. Like the dating game isn't working. The marriage isn't healing. Maybe friends have moved on um, metaphorically or like literally. Maybe they've 
like left town. Maybe you've had to move on. Uh, maybe there's a deep dissatisfaction in your life tied to your desire for that kind of connection. Or maybe you've felt it in your work. And maybe your work feels insignificant. Or maybe you believe it matters, but it's, it's just been so hard. Or maybe you've been out of work and you're not sure how you're going to pay the bills or get back in the game. Or maybe the shadows that you're facing, that you're wrestling with, the, the dark places are the ones that show up in the headlines of our communities, of our countries, of our world. And you, you just feel the fragility in our systems. Now, the thing is, of course, like the story of Jesus's arrival, it's preceded by centuries of prayers and prophecies that reflect these very same longings. Uh, let's just take one example, for example. Uh, so, so in the book of uh, Isaiah, this is a book of prophetic speech in the Old Testament. Uh, we have a few movements in that book. The first movement in that book is a prophet speaking to the people, kind of warning them about the fact that there's an exile that's going to come for you. And so right now you're in your homeland and you, you feel safe and secure, but it's not going to stay that way forever. And we're going to face the consequences of our own actions and find ourselves far away from home, which, by the way, if that doesn't sound human and universal, I don't know what does. That like in one moment you're like you're home and you're safe and secure and something happens and then you find yourself very far from where you want to be. Well, the second movement uh, in this prophetic text from Isaiah, it speaks to people in exile and it begins to encourage them about a return that is waiting for them. Uh, you, you might know that really famous passage in Isaiah chapter 40 where the prophet speaking on behalf of God says, comfort my people. Um, you, you know, young men will faint and like lose strength, but those who wait on the Lord, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not grow faint. Well, that's a text for people who are about to walk home. So that, that's a text of grit and endurance and encouragement for people who are about to begin the, the long, brave, harrowing journey home. But then the thing is they, they get home uh, after that long, harrowing journey of return only to find out that their homeland's been decimated, right? Because the moment when they were dragged into exile is also the moment when their homeland was torn apart. So after that long, difficult journey home, they get home and it's still broken. And it's in, in that moment where... Uh, the, the prophet sort of speaks on behalf of the people to God. So this isn't God speaking to the people as much as it's the people speaking to God. And the line is, God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That, that you would tear apart what feels like the, the barrier that seems to exist between us and you. God, that you would close the gap, that you would conquer the distance that we still feel between us and you. That's a, a powerful sentiment from uh, one of these prophetic speakers who comes centuries before Jesus, and I think we relate to it, right? Even, even now, even all these years, all these centuries later, um, after we, we look back and see the story of Jesus coming, we still feel that. And this is important because if you feel weary or unsatisfied or cynical or unhopeful or frustrated or sad or lonely or maybe conflicted, because alongside all those difficult feelings, maybe you also feel joy and hope and happiness, and you're just not sure like what to do with all of that or how to carry it. Well, what I'm, what I'm saying at the beginning here is however you're arriving at this moment on the calendar this Christmas, however you're showing up today as we prepare to celebrate the gift of Christ, I just want to say you're in good company. Our path to Christmas this year is not unlike the path that we see in Scripture with all those centuries of longing and desire frustrated and hopes deferred. It's a path we walk with all of our baggage, all our questions, all our frustrations, all of our hope, whether it's strong hope or fragile hope or defeated hope, and naming some of those longings is the best way for us to begin this journey this day.
the call to keep watch. But what are we keeping watch over? Maybe we're looking for something that will define us, or something that will remake us, or maybe something that will transform us. Some relationship, some hope, some love that will make us new. Maybe we're looking for the gift we remember this night. Take a moment to reflect on this. What am I really hoping for? What am I really waiting for? have I been searching for those things? Gathered all 
much of wandering love oh morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to things about naming these unmet desires, these frustrated longings, is that we can be honest about what we've done with them. Or maybe a better way of saying it is we can be honest about what these unmet desires, these frustrated longings, what they've done with us, what they've done to us, how they've compelled us, how so much of our lives, if you really pay attention, if you actually notice the sort of underlying motivations, that our lives might be understood as unconscious, unaware ways of, of channeling these frustrations and longings. Uh, there's a Scottish novelist named Bruce Marshall who decades ago wrote a book called The Word, The Flesh, and Father Smith. And the novel's kind of famous for this quote that's actually been misattributed to other people, but this is actually where it comes from. Uh, in the novel, he has a character who says, a man knocking on the door of a brothel is knocking for God. And um, I think he's probably onto something there. Uh, well, I, th I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that God will gladly meet us in all sorts of unauthorized, unexpected ways, whether we're prepared or not, because it's simply in the character of God to bestow that kind of lavish grace on us while we're knocking on all the wrong doors. That doesn't mean it wouldn't be good for us to prepare to kind of think about some of these misguided pursuits and these unhelpful attachments, these uh, ideas and behaviors that, that might sort of be like holy and sacred longings directed toward not so holy things. And that when you do that, you can kind of recognize that you could let go of some of those attachments and leave behind some of those behaviors as a way of preparing. Uh, this might be why the Gospels are full of images of, of conscious, intentional preparation. Uh, you've got Mary and Joseph, for example, who are given advance notice of the arrival of God in Mary's womb. And it seems that some of that's important because they need to prepare. They need to get their lives ready for that disruption. Later, uh, when a whole bunch of people in the first century or on the eve, the very threshold of the, the cusp of the ministry of Jesus, where Jesus is going to say things in, in no uncertain terms, like the kingdom of God is here and available. The life of God is here and it's yours if you want to be a part of it. Well, during that, that moment, right before Jesus arrives with that message and that promise, John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness saying to people, hey, get ready. Let go of the things that you're holding on to that are going to make it hard for you to welcome God. 
Now, if you've been asking God to, to tear the heavens open and conquer the gap that we feel between us and God, we should probably make sure that we set ourselves up to welcome God when God arrives. And this is good news, I think, because I, I think God is always arriving. That, that's the other thing about this. It's not just that like God arrived once. I think in, in another sense, God is always arriving, which means it's never too late to make our preparations, to keep sh- um, becoming the kind of people who are ready for God to show up. It means uh, we're giving one chance after another, after another, after another, to recognize that we've prioritized some unworthy objectives over the open-heartedness, the readiness, the surrendered posture that will help us help us welcome God. And this Christmas Eve, let's consider for just a moment how we might prepare ourselves for this never-ending arrival for the heavens that will be torn open again. One of the interesting things about knowing that background of that prayer from Isaiah, of people who feel the distance of God in their lives, even as they've come home from exile, is that you can hear the resonances of that prayer brought forward into the story of Jesus. Very specifically, one of the four biographies of Jesus, the Gospel of Mark, uses this very image. And I just like I hope we can catch this this Christmas season because this as a way of thinking about the gift that we are celebrating in Christ as we welcome Christ with candles and songs. So in Mark's gospel, uh, at the very beginning, when Jesus is sort of jumping into his ministry and all the good that he's going to do, uh, there's, there's a moment when he's baptized. And if you're paying close attention, what you will realize is um, Mark says that the heavens were actually torn open 
in Jesus's baptism. This is that moment when the voice of the Father says, this is my son and I'm pleased with him and the spirit descends on him. And I don't think Mark is uh, accidentally using this language. It's like he's bringing forward all of that longing from the prophet Isaiah from those people long ago and saying, yeah, all of that longing is actually being met here in the gift of Jesus. All of that frustrated desire, all that feeling of distance between us and God, all of that loneliness, all that existential aching inside that says, like, God, we long to know you in our lives in an, in an intimate way. We long to see you working in the world and bringing justice in the world. Like All of that somehow, for Mark, is getting met in Jesus, which is why he brings forward that image of the heavens torn uh, in that baptism there. And then at the end of Mark's gospel, when Mark describes uh, the death of Christ, he goes from the moment of Jesus' death, and then he kind of takes you into the, into the temple in Jerusalem. And he tells us that in the temple, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And the thing that Mark's original readers would have known that you and I may not know today is that that veil in, in, the, uh, in the temple, separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, was embroidered. And the embroidery on that veil was stars. We know this from a historian named Josephus. Which is to say, like Mark begins his gospel story, the story of Jesus coming to be with us with the heavens being torn open, and he ends the story with the heavens being torn open. The kind of technical literary term here is it's like an inclusio. Um, You can find the same Greek word there at the beginning and the end of his gospel. And he's saying this whole experience of Jesus, of the gift of God giving God's self to us in Jesus is an answer to that, that longing that we have been crying out with for centuries as a people. God, that you would rend the heavens, that you would tear the heavens and come be with us, that you would walk with us, that we would know you in our lives. Mark's saying that the gift of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas is specifically an answer to that longing. Now, I was also reading this week, uh, there's a New Testament scholar, um, a black writer and thinker named Esau McCauley, who uh, had an article in the New York Times, and he was specifically exploring uh, some questions around um, songs that are sung as black spirituals around Christmas, and then also some complicating factors around some white writers. Um, it's a really fascinating article. You should look it up. But, but the, the thing that stood out to me for what we're talking about here is that Macaulay is specifically describing the experience of enslaved black Christians and how they understood the Christmas story. And he says this. He says, for enslaved black Christians... Christmas was about the extent God was willing to humble God's self to know them. If God was willing to become a baby, then he was surely not above coming into a slave shack to encourage a downtrodden people. The incarnation for the Christian, he says, remains God's great extending of himself all the way down so that even the lowliest can reach him. This is the heart of the Christmas story, but but the Christmas story is also a way of understanding the entire Jesus story. Like over and over and over again, the story is saying that that God is actually willing and able and ready and and is reaching all the way into our lives, showing up in all the dark corners in our lives, at all the lowest points in our lives, whether you see it or not, whether you realize it or not, and maybe to know Jesus and to to sort of sit with him in the gospels and to encounter him there is, is to become the kind of people who can begin to recognize that God keeps arriving for us. Uh, when Jesus talks about um, the blessings that he gives at the beginning of his great sermon in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, this is sort of like the core teaching that Jesus offered the world. This is some of the good news that he offered the world. He says, hey, do you have a poverty within you? 
Do you find just an emptiness inside where you hope that you would find a fullness? He says, I call you blessed because yours is the kingdom of, of the heavens. Like, like the heavens have been torn open and they have poured all of their riches into your life, even in the empty places. He says, have you lost something? Are you mourning something? Are you grieving something? He says, I call you blessed because you will be comforted because apparently the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the reality of God is so good and, and generous and available that it can actually overcome all the things that we have lost. He speaks to those meek who, who've had their strength bridled by the system or by circumstances, and he calls them blessed because they, in fact, will inherit the world because all the things that we actually long for at our deepest levels don't belong to the people who have taken them from us. They belong to God who freely gives them. He blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, who ache for things to be made right within them or around them because he knows that they will be filled with a feast as God gives God's self to them. I mean, this is the Christmas story. This is the Jesus story. This is the gospel story. That even in all of our frustrated longings and aching, we, we can learn to recognize the, the arrival of God and, and the presence of God, even in the dark shadows. And it may not feel complete or fully realized yet. We may still continue to long. But as we welcome Christ and we celebrate Christmas, we're becoming the kind of people who have the eyes to see, the, the vision to understand that, that God is in fact with us and in our midst and in our lives. And this is why it's good to celebrate Christmas. Just 
As we celebrate that Christ has come, where are you hoping that Christ is born in you? 
God has come. But where do you hope God arrives in and through your life? Is it possible that God has already arrived? That the God you long for is already with you?
so let's prepare now to light a candle. I don't know, again, where you are right now. Uh, maybe you're at home alone or maybe you're with loved ones. Um, but if you have a candle, uh, what a beautiful and fitting way to be the people who welcome Christ this Christmas. Uh, you can go ahead and like prepare to light that candle in a minute. Uh, the team's going to lead us in, in silent night. and You'll get a chance to hear that here in the podcast. And maybe you'll even want to sing along. Uh, but whether you sing along or not, or whether you have a candle to light or not, we, we light candles because what we keep learning from Jesus is that even the dark corners are not entirely forsaken or abandoned. That even the, the places in our life and in our world, the moments in our history and in our current reality where God feels the farthest away, perhaps are not quite so God forsaken. And we keep learning this um, in our life, but also through our encounter with Jesus the stories in the Gospels that keep awakening this, this vision, that keep inspiring this imagination in us, that keep helping us see the things that are there that we have a hard time seeing. Because sometimes uh, with all of the broken places and all the frustrated desires and all the unmet longings, we can be so fixated on those things. We can see them so clearly that we have a hard things, time seeing the other things that are true. But this Christmas, uh, as we light candles and we sing Christmas hymns and we turn to Silent Night, Maybe the lighting of a candle is a prayer, an act of faith and hope to say, God, as we welcome Christ, help us to see Christ in our lives and in this world.
protect.